Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Jesus, thank you for bringing us all here, for guiding our steps. We believe that each, each person that's here, you have purpose on their lives, and I pray that you would draw them closer to you through the words that I'm about to say. I ask God that I would correctly handle your word and that it would achieve the purpose that you intend for it. We love you, God, and help us to always, in all our talk, talk about you like you're here because you're here with us. We don't want to just leave you in prayer time. We want you to be filling all of our conversation, all of our song, all of our prayer, all of everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been recently in a series called Hearts Reunited, and um, what we're looking at in, in this series is like a kind of a roadmap for how to emerge into the new season. You know, we've been sensing that the world and the church in, uh, specifically is entering a new season, and what does it look like for us to be in that season together? And we've been focusing on Acts 2.42. Um, and so in... You know, we don't want to... It talks about the early church and the things that the early church did and focused on, you know, and what we're not saying is that, you know, we want to go backwards, but we want to take and apply the things that were a blessing to the early church and see what um, God would do through those things in our time and in our day. So the verse that we've been focusing on is you know the when the when the early church started they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer and so we're going to be going through that verse piece by piece because each one of those things that they focused on and devoted themselves to is very important and I think has a lot for us today so today we're going to be speaking about the apostles teaching you know, the, the early church, when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what, what does that mean? What, what was it that the apostles were teaching is the most important thing that we need to know. And um, it doesn't go into specifics in this verse, but the rest of the, the New Testament gives us some hints on what that was. So um, I'm going to give a list of things that the Apostles' teaching was. It's a very short list, not exhaustive, but kind of lumping into main categories. One thing that they were teaching was the stories of their lives with Jesus. They had all been walking with Jesus, um, and later other, the, the other later apostles had personal experiences with Jesus to draw from as well, like Saul, who became Paul on the road to Damascus, and... Um, so they, they told their stories. They told what it was like to walk with Jesus. Um, they gave testimony to the things that they had seen him do and the ways that they had seen him live, the ways that he ministered to people and cared for people. And those testimonies um, 
became, you know, really the, the Gospels, you know, and among, you know, among other things. But a lot of those stories, you know, they, they began to see, hey, we, we need to write these things down. And um, although at the time that the verse here in Acts is referencing, they hadn't written them down yet, probably. We don't know exactly when they were written. But we know that those stories, the stories of Jesus' actual life that would become what we know as the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were a big part of what the apostles were teaching. And what they were, what they were getting at, especially after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended on the community of believers, was that these personal stories of what it's like to walk with Jesus, to, to, um, to live life with him, were now open to all believers because the same spirit that filled Jesus was filling all believers. The Holy Spirit was available to all. And so the way that Jesus walked was not just a distant, lofty ideal, but actually a possibility for believers. And so these stories uh, um, and the testimonies that they had were a big part of their teaching. Um, Another part of their teaching for sure was um, they continued speaking the message that Jesus spoke when he was here, which you could call it Jesus's kingdom theology. You know, Jesus always said, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the, the apostles were taking the time to develop the, and, and explain to people in a way that they could hear the theology that, that Jesus was offering, that that it was through him and him alone that people could draw near to the Father. He was the way, the truth, and the life, and that his sacrifice was freely given for all who would accept it through faith. And that, you know, we talked about the testimonies becoming known as the Gospels. Well, what the other thing the apostles were teaching was the Gospel, the good news, the same thing that Jesus had been declaring the whole time that he was there. And, um, and they would develop that and explain it and you know, work through the implications of it and what would also become the epistles, the whole rest of the New Testament, all the letters and um, the other books. So um, the gospel is so big and so important that it deserves its own week entirely. So Jason's going to talk about that one next week. We, we want to give, uh, I mean, it's, it deserves like all the weeks. We, we give the gospel at the beginning of almost all of our services because this is, the, this is the foundation of the church, but we're going to focus more on that one next week. But just to know, then we're talking about what the apostles were teaching. That's a huge part of it that I'm not going to talk as much about today. Then the third thing that I think the apostles' teaching included was um, a reference to the scriptures that they did have at the time, right? So at the time when this verse in Acts was written, there's no... New Testament yet, the, you know, the Hebrew scriptures, what we have as the Old Testament is all that they had at that point. And they, uh, you know, the, the writers of the New Testament were not setting out to write a replacement for those old things. They were just continuing the story. They, especially the gospel writers, saw themselves as the continuing of the history and, and of, the, of the things that God has said in the Old Testament. And what one of the big things that the apostles did throughout their letters and writings, you can see it throughout the New Testament, is they appealed to the prophecies and to the um, words about Jesus and about the kingdom in the Old Testament to show that God's plan had always been leading up to the moment that Jesus represented. 
And um, in fact, that's what, that's some of the first teaching that Jesus did uh, after he was resurrected, right? When he met with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, do you remember? He just walked through all the scriptures with them and showed them how, you know, all the things about the Messiah and why he had to die and why he had to be raised. And, you know, he, he began from the scripture that they already had. And this also became a key part of the apostles' teaching um, going forward. So, and Jesus really had done this throughout his life, if they were paying attention. He was always calling back to prophecies. You know, the very first teaching he ever gave, actually, in a synagogue, he opened up Isaiah, you know, is the Spirit of the Lord is on me, you know, to preach to the, and set the captives free. And, and uh, he said, this is happening right now, today, in your hearing. So he was, he was all about taking, you know, not just about leaving those old scriptures behind, but about applying them to uh, the current situation. So um, that's what Jesus had always done, and the apostles uh, continued his example in their teaching. So then, what does it mean for us? You know, how can, what can we take from the fact that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, these three things, their testimonies, the gospel, the good news, and the... Um, the use of the scriptures. You know, you can kind of see that almost every part of that, you know, the, the gospels, the epistles, the Old Testament, all of that is included in what is meant by the apostles' teaching in this passage. That's what they were teaching. Some of it was in progress, in, in the process of being written at the time. Some of it had been written for hundreds of years, but what they were, what they were teaching was the Bible, the scriptures. And so for us to be devoted in that way is all about, you know, what we do now with the Bible. What, what do we do with it? That's the question. Well, what are we supposed to do with the Bible, right? And, uh, and it's an important question. Paul, um, a verse that I think is key in like shaping my understanding of this is in Second Timothy, where um, Paul was talking to Timothy about um, you know how to approach the word and um, this is Second Timothy two fourteen through sixteen. If you want to look at it, I'm going to reference quite a few scriptures today. You don't have to turn to all of them with me, but if you want to, you can. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about itself. Interestingly enough, um, but in Second Timothy two, Paul told Timothy, "Keep reminding God's people of these things," which he was just talking about God's character and um, doctrine things. He says, "Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. But do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed." and who correctly handles the word of truth. And then he says also, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So Paul was telling his, you know, his kind of protege, Timothy, that it's very important to be approved, to be a worker who correctly handles the word that has been given. And so we want to talk about what that means. How do, we, how do we correctly handle the scriptures? What are we supposed to do with them? And 
unfortunately, throughout, um, throughout history, I think the church has struggled with this uh, in different ways. I mean, no surprise that the church struggles. It's made of people. So that's just the, the way things that are made of people are. They, they go off the rails sometimes. They overemphasize one thing or, or the other. But um, it's easy for... It's easy for us to slip in a couple ways, and I want to I want to talk about these not to, you know, bring down any part of the church, but as a as a corrective for both of us. In the vineyard, we often talk about the idea of the radical middle, that um, that in many ways and in many things, the the different extremes can become unbalanced. But there's a way to pull from um, multiple streams in intention and find that the blessing of God. And can come from all of those things and and influence us uh, in a in a balanced and in a rounded way. So, you know, one way that the church has struggled with the scripture is maybe by treating it more like a textbook than anything else. You know, that this is a book of doctrine or a book of rules to follow, like a, a playbook or a manual. That if you can just figure out how to apply it to your life well, that will solve your problems. Some have used the Bible as a, a tool for financial gain in that way, which Paul specifically says not to do. It's funny, they should, those people should read it maybe, but um, it's not just a book of doctrine. It's not just something to be studied, but it is something to be studied, and it is a book of doctrine. So well, again, you hear what I'm saying? We're not trying to bring down any part of the church here we're trying to say that this is a this is a both and situation. the The Bible is uh, is worthy of all the time and effort we would put into studying it. Of course, it is, um, but that's not all it is. Maybe the other way that some churches might slip is in devaluing the Bible, making it just like a a book of good ideas or a, a source of inspiration, like you know your positive affirmations that you say over yourself in a day to. I mean, you look in the mirror and like, I like myself and, you know, those kind of things um, where it becomes something that lacks substance or doesn't have authority, but is just good ideas. A lot of times um, it's easy just for us to be like, well, if I just know Jesus, you know, he'll just show me, he'll just teach me. And um, of course he will. And of course the Bible is a source of inspiration and, um, of course, it is full of, of good things that will encourage us, but it also has, you know, it also has the authority and the, the power in our lives as well. And, and it's, not, uh, it's not something that we can kind of just pick and choose our involvement with. It, it insists on um, its own importance throughout its pages. So, if we're going to be um, presenting ourselves as approved workmen and workwomen who <laughs> handle the word of truth correctly, we want to we recognize the importance of relationship with Jesus through the pages, and we also want to recognize the importance of knowing and being uh, having a good understanding, a robust understanding of what the Bible says. And I was trying to think of something like analogous to this experience because it's really unlike anything else, right? 
what the Bible says about itself is that it's the word of God. Like, there's no other, I mean, there's no other book like it. Like, it's the, the revelation of something eternal, something beyond our understanding to us in words. Um, and words, you know, are intrinsically limited, right? We have trouble, enough trouble making each other understand what we mean in languages that we both know. Um, this was written thousands of years ago in languages that we don't know. Um, so there's, there's intrinsic limits to it, but there's also a, a power and a, a majesty running through it that is deserving of respect. So in that way, this book is totally unique. This, these scriptures, the teachings that we have, um, really require a special, a special reading. You know, it's not just a book that you can read for information or, a, um, you know, just a book of inspirational sayings. It's something much more than both of those, although it is those things also. So, if it's the real word of God, this is the closest I could get to an analogy, right? So um, just imagine, um, husbands, that your wife had taken the time to write down all the secrets to what goes on in her mind for you, right? When I say this, I mean this. When I use this word, it means I just want you to listen and support me. But when I use this secret code word, it means I want you to offer constructive, helpful solutions to my problems, you know? Wouldn't it be helpful for all of us if we knew the answer to those kinds of questions? <laughs> oh, man. If you're single, it's like if the person that you, like, had a crush on, or even just, like, your best friend just, like, gave you a manual for, like, how to love them the best way possible. It's like... It's there. What would you do with it? What would you do with it? And, like, would you, you know, if it, like, continuing with the husband and wife analogy, like, husbands, would it make any sense for you to be like, well, like, well, I know my wife. I don't need this, you know? Like, no, she took the time to make it for you. It would be disrespectful not to read it, Right? But it would be equally disrespectful for, like, your wife to be, like, coming to you wanting to hang out and be like, no, hold on, I got I to gotta study the book. She'd be like, hello, <laughs> I'm right here. So that's something of, like, what the Bible is for us. And those are kind of the ways that we can go wrong. If we think that we don't need it because we know Jesus personally, well, of course we know Jesus personally, but he also gave us his word. You know, we don't have to figure it out and like pull things out of the air. Like a lot of it is written down there. Why would we not want to fill ourselves with it and please him as much as we can? But in the same way, if he's knocking at the door of our hearts, we don't want to be so busy studying the words and trying to figure out what the languages mean and stuff that we miss an encounter or an experience with Jesus. The Bible is meant to lead us into a vibrant, living relationship with the one true God, and the only way that under happens is by a strong understanding of the truth that it says. We want to affirm both. We don't have to put down one part of the church or one emphasis to raise up the other. Do you guys know that? There's enough of Jesus. Jesus is not zero-sum. There's enough of him to go around. One side doesn't have to go down for their side to come up. We encourage 
the, the reading and the study of scripture, and we encourage people to dive into relationship and personal connection with Jesus through the words of scripture, through the work of the Holy Spirit, and through the blessing of Christian community. All of those things. All of those things working together. So I want to finish with, with three things that I think the Bible can principally do for us. So and this is all stuff that the Bible says about itself that it does. So first thing, in the Bible, we can learn the truth about God. God reveals his truth in a lot of ways. It even says in the Bible that his testimony in nature is enough that people should be able to find out that he exists. But he's also given us this revelation of who he is so that we can learn the truth. In John chapter 8, um, Jesus is talking about the truth, and he, uh, he's talking about um, specifically knowing the truth of who he is um, as the Messiah. And he said to the, to the Jews who were believing him, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So... Um, Jesus' teaching is the stuff that was written down. We can know something about the truth that will make us free by reading the Bible um, and by following it. The truth sets us free because on our own, we just tend to have bad ideas. We, <laughs> right? I, I, maybe it's just me, I guess, but like, maybe you also tend to rely on false saviors that seem good to you but the truth of Scripture will demolish those things. When we know the truth, we'll know that there's no way for us to be saved except through the grace of God accepted by faith. And that, that is freedom. There's freedom from that mindset of earning our salvation or our acceptance. And any other, any other lie that you believe is causing you bondage in that area. You're not free where you believe lies. The Bible is full of truth and it can set you free. Truth about God's character, truth about your identity in him as a beloved child. All those, all those truths will set you free. So, the, uh, and it's not just about learning them, you know, as, as we read them we, and become convinced of them and believe them, that's when, it, that's when the transformation occurs. So the Bible tells us what's true. It tells us what to believe. And the Bible also helps us apply the truth that we're learning to the practice of our lives. So it's not just, um, it's not just theory. It's also about practice. In 2 Timothy, again, going back to, going back to that one, um, Paul continues later by talking about the role of Scripture. And he tells Timothy in Second uh, Timothy 3.14 and following, he says, as for you, continue in what you have learned. So he, he, there's that learning again. And have become convinced of, there's the believing because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation 
through faith in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about the things that you can learn in the scriptures will produce wisdom in you that leads to your salvation. That's pretty important. But then he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's not just, you know, if you're like me, I, I just love learning random facts, and I know so many like stupid pieces of information that I don't need to know, but the Bible is not those. It's not those useless facts. It says it, it, it's useful. It, you can use it for things, and that's, that's really wonderful. For one thing, it's the only picture we have of the actual life of Jesus, what he was like when he walked on the earth, the things that he said to people, the ways that he cared for people, the faith that he showed, the way he went away with the Father to pray and quiet. You know, all these things are an example that is useful for us in the practice of our lives. Um, but more than that, it, it's useful for teaching people. It, it corrects us when we go wrong. It can train us to be righteous. We can use it to encourage and challenge each other. So it's, it's useful. But as Paul, you know, in that other passage of Second Timothy that we read before, there, if it's useful, that also kind of implies that there are ways that it should not be used. You know, Paul is very clear that we're not just supposed to quarrel about words, right? The Bible is not a club to beat someone over the head with. Um, and it's also, not, just among other things that it shouldn't be used for, it's also not a standard of morality that we're meant to hold unbelievers to because they don't even know. Why would, they, why would we expect them to follow the morality? When Jesus encountered people who didn't believe, he always led with love and he brought the truth to correct after people were convinced that he loved them. And that, that was the key to his gospel ministry. Love first and then truth. Not one or the other, not either or, both, but in the right order. And um, that's important corrective for us too. The Bible is useful, but there are ways that it could be used incorrectly. Uh, similarly, you know, Paul told Timothy in, in, <laughs> to avoid godless chatter too. So he also told him to like avoid talking about things if you don't know the truth of the Bible. Like just actually don't talk at all if you're not going to do that. Um, and that's an important corrective, too. We don't want ever want our messages in church or the message of our life to be without the truth of this thing, because otherwise it'll just be useless. So it's not meant to just be inside us and never coming out. We don't want our to be filled with godless chatter either. The point of all of that being that the Bible is useful for us. We can use it, and it's really important that we learn how to use it correctly how to apply the example and the message of love, the good news of the gospel, which we'll be talking more about next week. And finally, um, a thing that the Bible enables us to do is experience God in a spirit-to-spirit connection. The Bible claims to be the word of God, and the words in it, therefore, have power that other words in other books don't have. Jesus says that we can actually experience him, have a, have a spiritual experience of God through the words. This one would be worth turning to Hebrews 4, chapter 12. This is like the key verse about the word of God. 
Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That is a bold claim to make about a book. (laughs) The word of God is alive. Something will happen to you when you read it. It, it happens to you. And um, the, you know, and, and what happens to you could, could even be painful because it might be correcting something in you that's wrong, but it will be a, a living connection to God and to his power that will, like, reveal like the truth of who you are at the deepest place and come in there with the sharpness of the sword doing doing surgery and helping to correct the things that might be off. And so when we think about the Bible like that as an experience, you know, you might not always feel, do you guys always feel the ways that God is working in you? I don't. I only notice them later. I'll be like, wow, I am not the same that I, as the way I used to be. And some of that, I think, happens just from spending time in the Scripture. It might be imperceptible to you at the time, but there's a power just in letting the words of God soak into you that um, should not be underestimated. When, If you think of yourself like a sponge, if you soak up the good stuff when life squeezes you, the good stuff will be what comes out. And I've noticed that to be true even when I didn't feel like anything was happening when I was reading. So it's not, when I say about a spiritual experience, it's not like you have to have some mystical moment where you feel enlightened. You just have to believe that the Bible is what it says it is and that it has the power that it has. You know, uh, John said when he was writing his gospel, he said that, you know, probably all the things that Jesus did would fill all the books that anyone could ever spend their life writing. But he said that he picked the things that he wrote down for a specific reason. He said, I, you know, these ones that I wrote, I wrote so that you would believe that Jesus is a Christ and that believing you would have life in his name. So the, the expressed purpose of the people that were writing this stuff down is that we would believe the truth of it so that it would release life in us, a spiritual transaction, just the truth is enough to set us free. Just the truth of God is enough to change our hearts. And that's why it's, it's foolishness. Just like it would be foolish for a man to ignore his wife's instructions if she ever wrote them down. It, it's, it's foolishness to ignore the Bible. Why would we ever want to? Um, but there's also no point in separating the reading of the Bible from the personal connection with God because he is, his spirit fills the words. It, it's the, his breath. As you hear that, he said scripture is God breathed. That's the same language that's used about the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. The two are intermingled and connected. And so, but like I said, we don't have to raise one up to, you know, to put one down to raise the other up. Like, Like, do we want to study the scripture? Yes, but we want our study to be the most devotional study possible, that we be allowing the truth of God to change us. And do we want to just read the Bible for an experience with God? Yes, but we have to be sure that we check everything that we experience against the truth 
that is revealed in it because our own hearts can be deceptive, right? So it is both of those things, and that is the beauty of Scripture. And if anything, I, I mean, I preach this to myself because, like, there, are, there have been times in my life where I just couldn't get enough of the Bible, and there have been times when I'm like, I pretty much know this, <laughs> You know, and wherever one of those you're in, like, I just hope that, like, hearing the truth of what the Bible is and why it's so important for us to devote ourselves to the teaching that is in it is just inspiring you to try it. If, you know, there's one simple application point of this message is just open it. Just, just start reading it. You, I can, you can barely read it wrong. You know, if you just blow through a whole chapter, if you, you know, get stuck on one verse for the next three weeks— just let the truth of it sink into you. Um, and I just pray, God, that you would inspire us to, to find you in your word, that we would walk in relationship with you, and that we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. We're moving into a time of ministry now. Um, we just want to um, say a blessing on all those that were joining us online and here. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.